Praise the Lord. Well, this morning, I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16 is kind of a wrap it up chapter in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's, a, it's the section of the letter where people are greeted, where some instructions are given. In fact, you couldn't, you read a lot of 1 Corinthians 16, you might not get a lot out of it because you say, okay, well, they said say hi to Tim. They say said hi to this guy. They said this guy's coming to visit. What does that mean to me? But there's a little phrase tucked into those greetings, tucked into those instructions. There's a, just a small section where he gives them some final encouragement. And I think it's appropriate here at the end of the year that we hear something that, that not only is something to hear as a final thought of the year, but it's something to propel you into the next one. The Apostle Paul said it very clear in 1 Corinthians 16. There's this, um, like I said, there's, there's a lot of goodbyes, there's hellos, there's greetings, there's instructions. And then he tells them something that he's going to leave them with. That when they hear this, I expect that just as they heard it, we've got to hear it, that it's not the words of Paul it is the Word of God. You know, when you, read the Word of, when you read the Bible, you have to understand that though God used people, God still wrote the book. He used people to write it. And there are times in the Scriptures where the Apostle Paul will say, this isn't God saying this, this is me saying this. Have you ever read that? You ever read him say that? This is my thought. This isn't what God said, this is just my thought here. When you read that, you can know that's Paul talking. Every other time, you've got to assume that the Holy Spirit used a human being to write something down. The Scripture says it. Peter wrote it down. He said that all Scripture is God-breathed. And that God used men and women to write something down. To say something. They didn't know what they were saying, but He used it to say something to the world. And so when we hear the Word of God, we don't say, well, Paul said this. And, you know, Paul was always kind of like that. You know, it's easy when you get a little bit too educated. Now, I, I like education. I believe it's good to use your head. When you get too, a little too theologically educated, maybe you went one too many years at Bible school, you start thinking you know everything about the individual writers of the New Testament, and you end up saying things like, well, James was a little bit more legalistic than Paul. Well, that's not that may have been true. I don't know in there because I didn't know them. But when you look at the book of James... That's still just as much the Word of God as the book of Romans. So they don't fight, they work together. They're both the Word of God. You can't say one's more legalistic than the other. They're both the Word of God. If you see them as contradicting, you're missing something. And that's easy to do. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be too faulted for missing something. We all miss something. But you first approach it by saying God is speaking through people 2,000 years ago, maybe a little bit less than that, but he, he used people millennia ago to say something that still rings true today. And there are times where you, you understand bits of the culture and you understand that, that this is what they were facing right then, but there's those truths behind it that even though we're not, we're not in the same culture, even though there's some things that are different about where we live right now, that there's basic truths that stand behind it which translate very well into our culture. So we're not going to go and, and uh, start living like the ancient Greeks or the ancient Romans or the ancient Jews. We, we understand we live in Canada 2012. Yet the Word of God is eternal. It's living. It's vital. When God put this in people's mouths, 
I'm sure there were letters that didn't make it into this book. It's an amazing thing to, to go back and find out how the Bible was written. And you may say, well, boy, it seems like a lot of people were involved in deciding which books made it, which ones didn't. Here's the great thing. I believe that God valued this word so much and he valued you so much that as much as those people involved in the process of putting the books into this book were flawed and human and had their own mess-ups, God loved you enough and he loved his word enough that he divinely protected it. That means that stupid people did smart things. They don't know why they did smart things. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like God using Cyrus in the Old Testament. Here's a guy that doesn't know why he's saying what he's saying. God used Nebuchadnezzar. God used Pharaoh. God used people that didn't know the right thing. He used those people to do something that they didn't realize what they were doing, but they were accomplishing the great will of God. And so... The Word of God is so valuable, so vital, that He didn't leave it to chance. He didn't leave it to people. He protected it. So when we read the end of this letter, you can say, well, that's Paul saying his goodbyes and hellos. But when he gives a final instruction, you understand that this is God speaking through Paul to the people of Corinth. And if God said it to the people of Corinth, I think I can say it for me too. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I suppose I should have turned there when I told you to turn there. But I marched to the beat of my own drum. Strangely enough, that was my own drum that said that, but 1 Corinthians 16, we're there. Towards the end, he says in verse 13, now normally, I wouldn't just pick a verse out of the middle of nowhere and read it to you. I I like to read things in context. But to be quite honest with you, this is kind of out of nowhere. (laughs) He's talking about Timothy's coming, Apollos is coming, Treat them well, receive them well. Then out of the middle of nowhere, he says this, be on the alert. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith. Now these are his final thoughts in this letter. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Now when you hear act like men, women, you've got to understand what this means. He's not saying, all right, let's, let's all just... Uh, you know, let's just all start burping in public, and not, let, not that men do that. Let's all just start being a little bit more manly. Let's be a little bit more butch, all of us. Let's just do that. No, this was a phrase in his day and age, which doesn't literally mean you need to, we need all men and women alike, we need to all start acting like males. This is a phrase that, me, that meant in his day, this is a phrase that they used quite often to mean be brave. Now, we can understand this, right? You may say that's a very chauvinistic thing to say, as if women aren't brave. Understand, this was a phrase in that day and age that they used. God's not expecting you to be any less feminine than He created you to be. The Scripture's full of examples of men being men and women being women, and this is a good thing. And of women being brave. You look in Hebrews 11, it talks about that. You look in the Old Testament, you find women like Deborah. You find, I mean, so... So this is not about men and women. This is about being brave, being courageous. Still a phrase that, that was used even, you know, up till recent times. Uh, there, in the 1500s, there was a man named Hugh Latimer. Anybody heard of Bishop Hugh Latimer? No? 1500s? Not that long ago, guys. All right, fine. <laughs> he was a bishop 
who was a Protestant. And at that time, the Protestant Reformation was still fairly new. And he believed that salvation was by grace through faith. Um, that, that it was not by works, it was not by indulgences, it was not by, it, you know, the church was pretty corrupt at that time, and there was a group of people that said, it's gotten so corrupt, we need to take a step out. And so he was one of these people. Well, when Queen Mary, as you know, that's a, a, a Queen Mary was known as Mary, Queen of Scots, when she became, uh, she came into power, she wasn't like, Elizabeth was Protestant, Mary was Catholic. And when Mary came in, she started to put a lot of Protestant people to, this, to death by burning them at the stake. Um, Mr. Latimer stood up for what he believed. He didn't back off. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, I changed my mind. You know, now, that you, now that you say it, I was wrong. He stood up and he said, I'll, I'll die for this gospel. I'll die for this message. And he stood up with a, with a friend uh, whose last name was Ridley. And as they were about to be burned at the stake, he turned to, he said, he said, play the man, Master Ridley. I love that. He says, play the man, Master Ridley, which means you may not feel like it right now, but act like it. Play the man, Master Ridley, for today we will light a candle by God's grace in England that I trust shall never be extinguished. That's a pretty big thought. Play the man, Master Ridley. You see, this phrase was most used in ancient history, in kind of modern history, was always used not in those times where yeah, let's act like men. Let's go out and get the quads and let's go, you know, roll around the field. That's not what we're talking about here. It's about when you feel like running away, when you feel like shrinking into a ball, when you feel like hiding, be brave. And this is not a gender thing. This is for all of us. Be brave. So women, if you need to read this a little bit different, if you need to read it, be courageous, be brave, you read it that way. In fact, some translations read that way. That's okay. You understand that that was a phrase at the time. Men, it's okay to read this and go act like men, but not like men like we see it in today's culture. Because if you watch TV, the idea of men has been rapidly deteriorating. <laughs> they're stupid. They're selfish. I'm talking about the TV version. They're stupid. They're selfish. They have no idea how to lead or protect their family, nor do they want to. They're after what they want. That's not a good image of men. Not a good image of God created us to be. And so if you need to read this, read it in the light of what God created you to be. Act like men. Be brave. Now, we started this by saying this is the word of God. Now, what happens? We've said this many times before. But what happens when God says something? When God said, let there be light, there was light. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus, Lazarus did not have to be convinced to come forth because he had no ability to come forth. He was dead. But when Jesus, when the word of the Lord came to Lazarus to say, come up, be alive, life came into Lazarus and he could do what he couldn't do before. So, when God says to Joshua, be strong and greatly of great courage, be strong and courageous, Joshua, then even if Joshua was a sniveling, whiny little coward, which he wasn't, but even if he was, the moment he hears from God, be strong, be courageous, if he receives that word from God. And that's important. You have to receive the word of God. The scripture says it over and over again. You have to receive the word of God. Jesus taught us that the word goes out like a seed, and in some hearts it doesn't even penetrate the surface. 
In some hearts, it goes down a little bit, but not very deep. And when things get hard, the word goes away. In other hearts, people get too busy. And when they get so busy, the word gets choked out. And then in other hearts, it goes in, it takes root, it's good, it's a good heart, it, it stays there, it bears a lot of fruit. That's what our heart needs to be like, receiving the word. And so just because God said it, there's your part, which the scripture says all of God's promises are yes, in him we have yes, and it says through Jesus Christ we have our amen. The amen is what you say. God says yes, you say Amen. What does that mean? That means you put your, your approval behind it. You say, so be it, I believe it. Because God told the Israelites, you're going into the promised land. But if they did not receive the word from God, the Bible says in the New Testament that they heard the word, but they did not mix it with faith, so they died in the wilderness. So just hearing the word is not enough, right? You have to receive the word by faith. And so you say, okay, that's for me. You say, all right, be on the alert. Okay, I'll be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be brave. Be strong. I believe this. When the Lord says, when He says in His Word, be strong and you receive that. No matter how weak you've ever felt. No matter how timid you've ever felt. No matter how afraid you've ever felt. If you receive it as the word of God, do you be strong? It's just like Jesus looking you in the eye and saying, be healed. You say, okay, I receive that. And strength comes to you. Do you remember that be on the alert is such a, an important thing to say? Because let's be honest, guys. There is a, a, a continuous attempt to lull us into a sleepy state where we just kind of go through life just going day to day and just getting stuff done. And that's, that's basically being asleep. And when you have some spare time, you entertain yourself or you let something else entertain you. There's nothing wrong with being entertained, but we've become so addicted to it that we don't know how to be still anymore. Right? You just... When I'm bored, you, turn, you flip open the laptop or the iPad or turn on the TV or you do something. And there's such an addiction to entertainment that we're kept in a state of sleepiness where we're not really alert. Jesus said to his disciples as they're in the garden, he says, I want you to be alert and watchful. Watch and pray with me. Why did he say watch? Was he talking about watching out for the soldiers that were going to come get him. No, because it really didn't. What were they going to do, right? Was he going to run away? Did Jesus run away from the soldiers? No, he stood right there. And when his own disciples tried to, to rescue him, Peter tries to, you know, start a little battle. Go, Jesus, I got him. And chops the guy's ear off. Jesus stays, sticks the ear back on the guy's head, and says, okay, I'm, I'm here. Jesus said, you can't take my life. I'm laying it down for you. So... There was no attempt to get away. There was no ambush. So he really didn't need the disciples to watch out for the soldiers. Because when they come, they come. What did they need to watch out for? What did they need to be alert for? There was a battle being fought. There was something that was going on in the spiritual realm that they couldn't even see. Jesus was taking on something. He was drinking of a cup that we can't even imagine how that would have felt. 
And he is doing it all by himself. He says to the disciples, I want you to be alert, watchful of what happens. They fall asleep. He's the one with the weight of the world on his shoulders and they fall asleep. Thankfully, when Jesus wakes up, I mean, he wakes him up. And he's obviously not too thrilled with them. So didn't I tell you to stay awake and pray? You couldn't even watch with me for one hour. And we all go, those disciples, not even an hour. Mm-hmm. How often, when's the last time? And maybe this was yesterday for you. So no condemnation. But when's the last time you, you by yourself, spend an hour in prayer? Not, not at church prayer, because you're forced to be there for an hour. It's weird when you walk out. <laughs> but by yourself, you set an hour aside. That's not an uncommon thing. I mean, there's, there's men and women of God that spent, you know, five, six hours. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to make you feel unspiritual. But I am saying, let's put it in perspective. An hour's not a long time. He says, you couldn't even wait, for me, wait with me for an hour. He wakes him up, but he doesn't say, you're out of here. I gave you a chance. No more. I'm picking new apostles. Get lost. Scram. You're not fit for the task. No, he gets them up. He gives them a second chance, and thank God they became the men they needed to be. So don't get, so, don't get beat up or feel bad about it. But he needed them to be alert. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, once you hold your place in, in 1 Corinthians 16, and just quickly read 1 Peter 5, You probably know this very well. He says in verse 8, be of sober spirit. Sober. Now when we think sober, sometimes our understanding of sober has been so tainted by the world that we equate sober to boring and lifeless. That's the way the world might see it. But I've been sober every day of my life. Physically sober, I mean. I've had a great time. You can, you can be alive and happy and joyful. In fact, you could probably enjoy it more when you know what's going on. But this is not talking about sober as in not drunk with alcohol. This is talking about a different sober. Be sober in spirit. Which means you don't have to be boring or lifeless or joyless. But be sober in spirit. That means don't fall asleep. Don't, don't be drunk in spirit. Now, we're not talking about drunk in spirit as in a good way. I'm talking about that where you don't really know what's going on, you're not really paying attention. Be sober in spirit means pay attention. Something important's going on right now. Be on the alert. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Be sober in spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary. Here's the deal. There is an adversary. And we know that. It's not just you, Jesus, and rainbows. There's an adversary. That's why people say, well, why this bad stuff happen? Why all this? We've got to know there is still a devil. Now, his time is coming to an end. Scripture tells us that there will be a day when he's thrown into the lake of fire and he has no more authority, no more dominion. The only reason he has any control on this earth is because people let him have that. But it says, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil. Jesus talked about the devil. Every apostle talked about the devil. This is not a made-up thing to scare your kids into being good. This is real, right? He didn't, he didn't just lay down his weapons after, after 
the Apostle John, the last of the Apostles, died and said, okay, I've done my work. I'm done. I tried. Didn't work. I'm out of here. Now, he's still around. He's still doing the same old stupid stuff. But it says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, if he has to seek someone to devour, what does that mean to you? He can't devour everybody. If he could, he wouldn't have to seek. He just... But he's looking for somebody who's got their guard down. He's looking for somebody who's not looking for him. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, I've run into a, a large group of, of believers even who are terrified of the devil and of demons. I've talked to some that would rather not cast any demons out, would rather not cause any problems because they said, this is their words, wouldn't that be kind of like poking the hornet's nest? No. No, 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 no. You have authority. You ha- I mean, he's defeated. These guys are defeated. When you stand in the name of Jesus, you've got, you've got way more authority than this guy has. Because here's what it says in the next verse. It says, but resist him. But resist him. That means to stand opposite, to stand against and oppose him. Resist him firm in the faith. Thank God. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing the same experience of sufferings are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. This is written in a time of great persecution. They're, they're not unaware that they're having to go through some stuff. Now that suffering is not talking about, well, God made you sick or God made you poor or anything like that. It's talking about definite persecution that they were facing and they were having to fight through, endure, and don't give up. This is the word. You had your choice. You could run away or you could be brave. Act like men. Stand up to it. And don't run away. Resist and firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of sufferings are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Verse 10. After you've suffered for a little while. This is a very confusing sentence if you don't read it right. After you've suffered for a little while. doesn't mean God says, I just want you to suffer for a little bit. We all need to suffer for a little while. No, the reason he says for a little while is the same thing that pops up throughout these letters, which is, know this, it's only temporary. It's not as long as you think it is. It's almost over. This isn't, this isn't as big as you think it is. This is only a little thing. It's going away. It's temporary. But the word in you is eternal. And as Paul said, I know that the temp, I, he says, I, I know that these temporary These temporary afflictions, these temporary things are not even worthy to be compared with the, he says, temporary light afflictions are not worthy of being compared to the weight, eternal weight of glory. Do you see those words? Temporary versus eternal. Light versus weight. Affliction versus glory. He says they're not worthy to be compared. The affliction is temporary and light. The glory is eternal and heavy. And they're not worth being compared. Here he says, you've suffered. In other words, you've endured. You stood your ground even when bad stuff was happening. You didn't give up. But it's only a little while, guys. Don't think it's going to feel like this for all your life. It's just a little bit. It's only temporary. Everything that you can see and touch is temporary. But the unseen things that God's given us, they're eternal. 
So when you're going through something, you feel like you're going through it, and you'll be going through it for the rest of your life. Does anybody feel like that? Something happens to you, and you think, I feel like this, am I ever going to get over this? Am I ever going to get through this? You need to hear this. It's temporary. It's going to change. The mountain will move. You need to stand and resist. Just don't stop standing. <laughs> I think I told you this before. I had a friend. I was a bit of the optimist in the relationship. He was the pessimist in the relationship. He worked for a time in a pet store. I remember saying to him, I said, isn't it cool that goldfish, you know, they swim around and they constantly feel like they're in new ocean, they're new waters. I think I told you guys this. But they constantly feel like they're in new tank. Their memory is so short that they swim around that little tank and go, new ocean, this is cool. You know, just, and they just swim around. I said, isn't that cool? He goes, yeah, except when they're dying. They think they've been dying all their life. And I was like, well, that's one way to look at it, I guess. Sometimes we feel like that. I feel like I've been dying all my life. I feel like I'm going to be, continue to die all my life. He says it's only a little while. A little while. After you've endured for a little while, it's, it's, it's shorter than you think. The God of all grace. Don't you love that? The God of all grace. He's not offering you a portion or just grace for whatever you, just a little bit of grace, just enough. The God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ. You see that again, the contrast? It's a little while that you're enduring this, that you're fighting through this. Oh yeah, the church is being persecuted and you think this is the worst thing you'll ever have to go through. He says, stand firm, resist Him. And it's only going to be a little while. But after that, the God of all grace who calls you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. Listen to that. He will perfect you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. And you need that. We need to get over the idea that when the Scripture says be strong, you need to just pull from somewhere and just be strong in yourself. Because the Bible doesn't tell you to do that. It says be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might doesn't say be strong in your own self. doesn't say pull out whatever you've got. doesn't say you're made of stiffer stuff. Your, your ancestors were strong. You can be strong. You, this is not talking about what you naturally have. Be strong in the faith. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. Be strong because here He says He will strengthen and establish you. I've quoted this many times. It's very much like the story I told about Mr. Uh, Latimer there. But I've quoted many times that I, I gather a lot of strength from when the Apostle Paul was writing his last letter that he'd ever write. And he writes about his last defense that he was at. And all of his friends ran away. None of his friends showed up at trial. No character witnesses. Everybody left him alone. And the great Apostle Paul left alone. And he says, and, and you know it well, he says, Everyone deserted me. No one stood with me. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. And that changes everything. The Lord stood with me. I mean, all my friends might have left. All my, all my buddies might have left. All my associates might have left. But the Lord stood with me. And that's sometimes we say it's so cliche and greeting card-like that it loses all its power. 
Sometimes we say it to people just like, oh, well, you know, at least the Lord's with you. Guys, you got to know that that's not just a nice thing we say as we're giving somebody a teddy bear. Oh, don't worry, the, the Lord's with you. Like, that is a huge deal. I mean, if I had to choose you or the Lord, I'm sorry, i choose him. Now, thankfully, I don't have to choose you or the Lord. You come with him. But if I had to choose, I'd say, you all leave. I'll take him. Because here's what the Lord did. The Lord stood with me. And he strengthened me. You see, even the, the Apostle Paul, when faced with all of this that he had to be faced with, there's a time where you want to say, mm, maybe I'll let somebody else take the hit. Maybe I'll, just, maybe I'll let somebody else take the heat for a while. But he stood there, and instead of feeling like he needed to give up, or he, he just said, why is everybody hating me so much? Why is everybody so mean to me? Instead, he said, the Lord strengthened me. He stood beside me. And when the Lord stands beside you, he strengthens you. He puts his arm around you. He puts... He, he, pulls you close, and there's a strength that's shared there. It says, he strengthened me, and he rescued me out of the mouth of the lion. And that's such a wonderful thing to remember, that the same God that did that for Paul can do that for you. He says, he'll strengthen you, he'll confirm you, he'll establish you. So back to 1 Corinthians 16, he says, be on the alert, stand firm. I love Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 talks about standing firm, right? It says stand firm. And, and there's many times he continue, continually says stand, stand, stand. In fact, we question ourselves, what am I able to do? And a lot of times we'll look around and we'll say, well, that person is a stronger person spiritually than I am. Have you ever thought that? You know, they could, they could deal with this. Why do I have to deal with this? I mean, if, if anybody could deal with it, it would be them. But I can't handle it. I've only been born again for a year. I can't do this. Or, or, or I've just never been a strong person. Have you ever said that? I've never been as strong as everybody else. It's not about how strong you are. In Ephesians 6, let me read it to you. It says this. It says in verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. His might is pretty mighty. It's pretty strong. Be strong in the Lord. The strength of His might. He's, he is giving you His strength. He's not asking you to come up with your own. Be strong in the Lord. The strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able. Listen to that. And we're going to notice that phrase. And I've, I've said this to you before. This is not a new thought. But we'll say it again. Notice when He says, you will be able. There's not any doubt in that phrase. There's not any, well, some of you will be able and some of you will drop like flies. Some of you will be able, and some of you are crispy critters, you're toast. So some of you, he says, you will, and others, anybody that does this, put on that full armor of God, which he gave you, so that you will be able. And you need to read that and say, I will be able. No, I feel like I'm not able, I, I, I've been told I'm not able, you will be able. To do what? You'll be able to stand firm. What does stand firm mean? It means you don't take a step back. You don't get knocked off. I don't know if you remember junior high or elementary school. But if anybody started to bully you or push you around, it was a big thing to be able to stand there and not move. To be able to stand there and not back, not run away 
or stand there and get knocked over. If you could stand firm, you're king of the playground. I mean, nobody messes with you. If you could stand there and take it and not run away and not fall down, and you just stood there, I mean, you're a big guy. Because usually, either you're the one doing the, the hitting or you're the one getting hit and getting knocked down, getting pushed away. But here, he's talking about whatever he throws at you, you'll be able to stand firm, which means he can't even move you. He can't even nudge you. That's not saying you won't lose. You definitely won't lose. It's better than not losing. He says you won't even get knocked backwards. As believers, have you ever felt like I was doing so well, but then this attack came, and it's setting me back how many months? It's setting me back how many years? It's, it's knocking me off where I was. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to knock you off your, off your ground. You don't have to lose a thing. Stand firm. You will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So he's a schemer, he's a plotter, but he, do, he doesn't have anything on you if you put on the full armor of God. But look what it says in verse 11. Or sorry, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. If you have a lot more time, spend some time studying that out. That's a big deal. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that, once again, you will be able. You will be able, and what does it say we'll be able to do this time? We'll be able to resist in the evil days. Isn't that what First Peter 5 said? Resist him, though. He's coming. He'll try to get you, but he can't. Resist him. It says here, you will be able to resist in the evil day. And like we've said before, the evil day, I don't care I don't care how bad our days have been, how bad situations have been. The evil day sounds like the worst day you'll ever have in your life. If you were to th talk about the worst day you've ever had in your life, that would be the one called the evil day. In that season of life. But the evil day is not just a 24-hour period. Evil day, more likely, is referring to a space of time, a season of time. There's a season of time in your life where you feel like everything that could be thrown at you is thrown at you. Maybe you already feel like you've gone through that. It says here, you'll be able to resist even in the evil day. Do you understand what this means? The worst that the enemy has is not bad enough. The worst that he has is not big enough. His biggest weapons, his, his nuclear arsenal is not big enough to throw you off. You'll be able to resist in the evil day. Having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm. He says, having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore. Having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, as we've taught before, these aren't just nice little things that you say, okay, I'm putting on my breastplate of righteousness. I'm putting on the gospel of peace. This is practical. This is every day. You've got to make a choice. So how do I put on the, the preparation of the gospel of peace? How do I do that? How do I, how do I put on the breastplate of righteousness? How do I put on, well, how do I put on the helmet of salvation? How do I take up the sword of the Spirit? If I'm going to shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, I'm not just going to go through a ritual where I say I'm doing this right now. I'm going to have to walk out my life in that peace. 
spreading that gospel. If I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness, yes, our righteousness is of Jesus. It's his righteousness that we take. But putting on the breastplate of righteousness is talking about a practical righteousness. Not just who you are, because who you are is, is how you're able to do it. The only way you're able to live righteous is because he made you righteous. But putting, putting it on, see, if this was always on, he wouldn't tell you to put it on. This is not talking about your righteousness with God. This is talking about walking it out, living it out. So how do I put on the breastplate of righteousness? I live what I believe. I let the righteousness which Jesus gave me for free, I let it live out in my daily life. And when I do that, it protects me. And all these things, and we could go through each individual one, but let's go to verse 16. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all. So there's that last, you will be able. You will be able to extinguish all. Not one that you miss. All of them extinguished. Does extinguish sound like it has any more power anymore? No, when something's extinguished, all that fire, all that power is gone. We're talking about the attacks of the enemy. The enemy throws at you. Whether it be thoughts, whether it be physical, whether it be financial, whether it be relational, everything he throws at you, when you stand with the shield of faith, all of those things are not just stopped, but fully extinguished. Because you know what? In those days and age, the Romans developed a system where often they would, you know, and, and other people too, but the Romans made it famous. They'd stand in that famous side-by-side -side formation. They'd put their shields up, and you couldn't penetrate that thing. But there would be enemies at times, and they did it themselves, where they dipped their arrows in an oil and light it on fire so that you went, phew, you shoot that through the air. Not only would it, could it penetrate you, but these particular incendiary arrows would be less, their goal is not as much to penetrate you as to start things on fire, just to cause a big grease fire around you. And so what they would do is they dip their shields in liquid, sometimes water, but sometimes they dip it in something else that would be a little bit more flame resistant. And they dipped those shields in there so that shields would be ready so that when those flames, those air, flaming arrows would come, they'd stick them up, those arrows would hit that shield and phew, they'd be put out. You see, it wouldn't be enough just to stop those arrows. Because if you just stopped those arrows, they could set your whole shield on fire, right? That wouldn't be good. Then you'd have to throw it down and you'd be defenseless. You couldn't just stop the arrows. You had to fully extinguish them. And he says through the shield of faith, you'll be able to fully extinguish all the flaming arrows. I want you to see, he says, with these things I've given you, with these tools I've given you, and I being the Lord, with these tools he's given you, with his righteousness, with his salvation, with his, the faith that he gave you, all of these things, you'll be able to stand firm. You'll be able to resist. You'll be able to extinguish. Back to 1 Corinthians 16. Stand firm. Be on the alert, stand firm, be brave. That's big. For us men, we can read that, act like men. For the rest of us, rest of you, read it, just, just read it like this. Be brave, be courageous. Don't back down when everybody else starts to lose heart, when everybody else starts to get cowardly, 
when everybody else feels like running away, there are going to be times, maybe even in 2013, where even your Christian friends are going to want to run away. Where even your Christian friends aren't going to want to stand. You know what? I'm not saying that to put them down. But I'm saying you can't decide what you're going to do based on what everybody else does. You stand firm. You be brave. You be alert. Be strong. Be brave. It says this. Verse 14 is bigger than all of them. You see, so far, it sounds kind of macho, doesn't it? Be alert. Stand firm. Be strong. Be brave. That sounds like all these things that a father would say to his son, you know. But I hope if you had a good father, and if you didn't have a good father, you've got a heavenly father that's better than all. He says in this next verse something that's going to make it more powerful, more dynamic, more effective than anything else. Let everything you do be done in love. Final instructions to the church at Corinth. Instructions for us to cap off this year and to get into the next one. Be alert. Wake up. Wake up. And if you need some a friend to tell you to wake up, Get that friend and say, you know, if I seem to just be going through the motions like a zombie through life, wake me up to the reality of the fact that there is a a world I can't see and there's something going on and I've got authority in that realm. And I need to wake up to the fact that there are people around me that are dying. I need to wake up to the fact that I have authority over all the powers of darkness. And I've got to do something about that. I've got to wake up to the fact that, men, you've got to wake up to the fact that you are the guardian and gatekeepers of your household. And you need to be the kind of men that stand by your wife and stand by your kids. And if they're sick, you need to stay by their bedside and fight for them. Not just say, well, I'll go to the pharmacy and get you medication. That's fine. If they need it, you go get it. And the Lord tells you, that's great. But don't you dare just say, well, the doctor can handle it. You are a, you're somebody who's got the authority and the obligation, the responsibility to stand and fight for them. I remember as a, as a child seeing my dad stand by my mom's bedside when she almost died. Stand and not leave her bedside until he was convinced something had moved in the Spirit. That's what a real man does. A real man doesn't leave the discipline of his child just to the mom, let her be the bad guy. They say, well, I have to be at work. And when I come home, I don't want to just discipline. I want to have some fun with the kids. I wanna, or I want to have my space. You've got to understand your team, your partners. And there's a responsibility put on you that can't be abdicated. You have it. Be who you are. Be who God made you to be. And women, in the same sense, be who God made you to be. Don't ever feel like you have to be oppressed or put under somebody's thumb. God made you to be a powerful and vital part of the family If you're single, you're a vital part of the body of Christ and the family of God. But in all those things that we do, stand firm, be alert, be strong, be brave. Let everything you do 
and in this next year, we're going to need to be alert. There are going to be times where we're going to need to stand firm. When everything says run away, you have to stand. There's going to be times when you have to, men act like men, women be brave. Where you say, I feel like running away, but I'm not going to. I feel like saying I am terrified. You may be terrified. And it's okay to admit that to God and say, I'm terrified, help me out here. But sometimes, like I said, we, we went through a whole series of not faking it, right? But there are times when you're a leader. And I say this to you as leaders. Some of you are leaders. Many of you are. Sometimes a leader needs to know when to express their fear and when not to. A leader, especially in the military, for instance, you don't express your fear to the men under you. Why? Because you'll terrify them. They need to see you being strong. Who do you talk to? Talk to the one above you. Say, this is what I think. They'll help you out with that. This is the way it goes. There are people in your life that you can say, I need help. I need you to do this. And there's other people that you need to be strong for them. You don't need to fake it. But you need to show that faith that you have inside. You need to draw from the inside of you and say, now's not the time to be cowardly or afraid or scare everybody else. Now's the time to know what I know and believe what I believe, that God is above all of this. And he's stronger than it all. And we'll be able to stand firm. And then finally, and most importantly, and I say that very clearly, most importantly, let all that you do be done in love. It changes. If you think being strong means you have to step out of love, you don't understand strength. If you think that speaking truth should or could be done without love, you're wrong. The Bible says speak the truth in love. Listen, guys, if you don't love the person you're talking to, I mean genuinely love them. And I don't mean that, that, oh, I love you with the love of the Lord because I have to. I mean you genuinely love them. Not just I say I love you because I'm supposed to say that. But you genuinely know and feel a love for them. Don't bother trying to correct them. You just wait until you have some love for them because you, you can't correct them. You, you don't have anything to say. You know what? If you, try, if you were, I mean, I, I heard a prophet say this one time. He said there are certain people I can't prophesy to because I know they don't have favor in my eyes and I know I I have a certain and until I can fix my heart about them I can't prophesy to them because it'll be tainted so doesn't matter what you do everything you do let it be done in love Paul said if I gave all my money away to the poor but I didn't have love wouldn't count if I gave my body to be burned didn't have love wouldn't count if I had faith to move a mountain didn't have love wouldn't count if I spoke with the tongues of men and angels didn't have love. Sounds terrible. Nothing counts without love. So, going into 2013, I'll be there too. So I know this sounds, the way Paul said it, it almost sounds like something you'd say when you're dying. Nobody here is dying. But if we were, <laughs> if these were the final words, boy, would they be big ones. Be on the alert. Stand firm. Be brave. Be strong and do everything in love. And you'll be fine. Amen.